Hi, I'm Stathis, your host. Before we jump in this episode, let me introduce DevRelX. DevRelX is a hub for developer marketing and DevRel professionals. Stay home while DevRelX brings you rich content to boost your DevRel game. Access developer population insights, news, job openings, and more. Discover how to empower developers and grow communities at devrelx.com. Today's episode will start with a quote from our guest. We think about this intent-based marketing and the journey of the developer, right? I think we could do some really amazing things with growing these developers with, when trying to understand what they need next. Not mm-hmm. how to get them into my sales funnel, but what we need next. Your normal marketing metrics don't apply to a developer community. Bounce rates are not a bad thing. If a developer comes to your community, searches for a question, finds the answer and bolts and gets back to work, that's a good thing. Right. They've learned something. It was it's a case deflection. These these metrics, we have to really rethink when we're in developer marketing, because, again, I think it's all about finding out how to help the developer next. Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, a podcast from Slash Data. I'm Joe Stitchbury, one of the senior analysts in the team. And today I'm joined by Jesse Davis from Devada. Jesse, it's great to have you on, but we've not met before, so could you introduce yourself to me and to the listeners, please? Sure. Uh, As you said, my name is Jesse. I'm the Executive Vice President of Product Data Technology here at Devada. Um, And what I do every day is really look into the forward-looking research and strategic project initiatives and product initiatives for the company. Uh, I was a developer for over a decade, uh, and then my leadership team figured out that I could speak both the business and the technical languages and kind of stand in between. And uh, I was given the privilege to lead some pretty cool teams of developers to build software. Um, And during that, I I got a real passion for um, building developer communities. And that's where I ended up where I am. I see. Yeah. Developer communities. This is what we're all about here on the pod. So um, my intro for you um, and for listeners that haven't heard heard about me before. Um, I'm also a a mobile developer. I'm also a developer. I used to work in mobile back in the days of Symbian Um, and actually before that for Science Software on the Series 5. Um, I've also worked for Nokia and Sony Ericsson and um, then latterly I moved into publishing and technical writing. A bit like you where you say you could speak business and um, to developers. I Mm -hmm. discovered that I could speak to publishing and writing as well as to developers. Um, so since I moved across the, the chasm, if you like, um, I've spent my time writing, trying to make the, the difficult simple and writing explanations of difficult subjects for people to uh, decipher so that they can get on and do their jobs. Um, so I've worked as a product manager in a number of teams that need community portals. Um, and more recently, I've sort of developed content um, with different companies that I freelance for. So developer documentation all the way through to more technical content marketing. I work with Slash Data as a senior analyst looking at the developer economy, and I recently edited our multi-author book on developer marketing. Okay, Jesse, so you told us a little bit about uh, what you do at Devada, but could you maybe introduce Devada to us, please? Sure. Um, Devada is all about enabling developers. You know, it's it's really fascinating company to work for. And everything that we do each and every day is focusing on strengthening the overall global development tribe. That's one of my passions. I love working with developers. 
they're my people, so to speak. So we focus on building technology that makes the best online communities, focusing on what developers need, how they work, what works for them, what they don't like. Uh, and we do that with our in-house development team as well as large external community of developers, right? So these are development communities for some of the world's biggest companies. And I think that what we're trying to do with Devada is working together to solve these current issues that we have in the market for software development and online communities are a great way to start solving those problems. Yeah, I see. So, so you, um, the company produce a um, platform for communities to grow up on, is that, is that right? We do. So we have uh, really two sides of our business. The first side of our business that you just mentioned, AnswerHub, is a software platform for building online developer communities. It's really focused on the needs of the developers, and it's very different than a lot of other pieces of software you would see for, you know, basically getting developers to build relationships online in a meaningful way that helps them get their work done. So we have different facets of the software where you can ask questions and get answers. And it meets the needs of a developer to ask a question, get what they need, and get back to work, right? Developers have a high sense of sufficiency. They know when they've got enough information to get past the current coding challenge that they have. And so the platform facilitates that. And it facilitates it at scale for millions and millions of developers. And then we also provide ways for developers to give feedback, help you build better products, and also to share ideas and exchange some really cool ways to improve software. Oh, I see. Um, and the other side, you mentioned there were two sides. The other side um, that people probably know quite well is DZone, is that correct? That's right. DZone.com is a gigantic, one of the world's largest independent developer communities. That one's been around for, uh, in some form or, or fashion, for the last 20 years. So that one was started back in the late 90s when our co-founders noticed that there was no place for people who are writing in the Java programming language to exchange ideas and help develop the language. And that's kind of where I first got my introduction to the company, if you believe it. So 20 years ago, I was working on the very first data access components for the Java programming language called JDBC, Java Database Connectivity. So I wrote that for the very first version of the JDK that supported it with this JDBC ODBC bridge. And then I ran into this thing called Java Lobby which was the first iteration of DZone where, you know, we could meet online, ask each other questions, get answers, and help develop a language. And that grew into not just Java, but web development and big data and Internet of Things and you name it. And that's what DZone is today. It's a whole lot, a whole lot of information categorized by zone, which is some kind of technical topic where experts come and contribute knowledge to one another and help each other grow. Yeah, it's a fantastic resource. And I mean, when you do a search for technical topics, D-Zone's often up there, um, right at the, you know, right at the, at the top of the list. I'm a zone leader for D-Zone um, in the performance and AI zone, so I should declare my interest in D-Zone, <laughs> but um, it's a fabulous resource. And um, I wasn't really aware of exactly how old it was. I knew that it had its roots in Java, but I didn't realize it had gone back so far. So that's, that's fascinating, thank you. So you mentioned that you worked 20 years ago, you were working um, on um, JDBC. What were you doing prior to your role at Devada? So yeah, it's, it's been a fun ride. So before Devada, 
um, I was leading a team of about 150 engineers worldwide for a company called Progress Software. And um, I got my start when I was talking about JDBC with a local company uh, here in North Carolina called Intersolve. And that came from Data Direct. And it was, it was a fun ride. I spent about 20 years working in the enterprise data space. And back then, data was not cool, right? Data was middleware. You know, all the focus was on, you know, models and the front end and GUIs. And I was in the back end, mostly because I was fascinated with data. And it came from, of all things, Star Trek. So I watched <laughs> Star Trek with my dad growing up. And I saw this, the teleporter, the idea of scanning a human in its entirety, storing that much data and transferring it in real time to somewhere else. I always wanted to help advance technology in that direction. And so, you know, after I wrote the um, JDBC ODBC bridge, I stayed on with the expert group uh, working on that, as well as the ANSI SQL committee. So for working on the SQL language and then founded the OData standard with Microsoft which is basically a data standard for REST APIs. Um, and that's pretty neat because I really believe, you know, in today's market where APIs explode everywhere, the more we can get to standards, the more productive we can make developers as a whole by us all learning some of the same things where it makes sense. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, that's fascinating about um, thinking about teleporting and um, the amount of data required. And I suppose, I, I'm sure you've been watching the latest version of Star Trek on um, Netflix and the oh, Star yeah. Drive. So, you know, I guess that, that kind of ties into the whole, you know, data and connecting everything <laughs> to the universe. <laughs> everything is connected now. <laughs> it is, it's really fascinating where it's come. I was privileged enough to work on, uh, there's a video game called Candy Crush, made oh, yes. by King um, uh, out, uh, in the UK, and I worked on the original version of that, studying the amount of information we could gather from a phone to make the play more fun and more engaging for people. And it's it's both awesome and scary how much data we can get on people, um, and how important it is to make sure that we use that in a responsible way. Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean there's a lot of discussion about that um, at present, of course, with the whole um, electoral you know issues that have been going on with Facebook, and it's a it's a huge area. Um, but coming back to your, you know, watching Star Trek with your dad growing up, did you at ever any point think that you'd kind of come to your current role? Did you ever think that you'd be sitting working for Devada um, and helping developers, software developers? I guess when you were growing up, perhaps software developers weren't um, as commonplace, shall we say? But um, <laughs> what, did, what did you think you were doing and, and is it close to what you're doing now? Uh, that's funny. It's a great question. No, I had no idea. Um, I really didn't find uh, my passion in, uh, until I had built up a pretty large global team at Progress. And it was interesting to see, uh, after we had done some M&A transactions and, and really grew the team, how to build those relationships with a global team of developers. It's really, really hard, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the technology back then isn't, was it, was it, excuse me, isn't what it is today, but once we got it right, it was really rewarding, right? A lot of good comes out of strong developer communities. This wasn't a global, you know, external community I was working on, but I noticed that the, the more I got it right within that team, I got faster code, higher quality code, this great sense of camaraderie, productivity, and I realized that these good tools and processes around communities was important, and I get to fulfill that here. But, you know, growing up, I really wanted to be a music teacher. 
And my mom was a teacher and she said, no, you have to quote, go into computers, right? It was, uh, this was, you know, this was early nineties type of stuff. Uh, and my mom really knew what she was talking about. But um, even when I was in computers, it was really all about the technology. And I've come to realize that the more I get to work with developers, this interesting space of developer relations, developer marketing, all around, you know, helping developers do great things. You just can't go wrong there, right? Developers are writing history with every single line of code they push every single day. We have to remember that developers are either the most or one of the most important demographics that we have on the planet. They're in high demand. You know, this whole idea of digital transformation where every company is becoming some kind of a software company, uh, figuring out how to make sure that we can properly grow and equip these developers entering the market, it's a critical thing. So, you know, I didn't realize I was going to go into this, but now that I see the, the path that I walked and now that I'm here, I'm super glad that's where I ended up. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Similarly, I, I never really expected to end up here. Um, I wanted to be a musician as well. And, and my mom was always saying, oh, no, it's far too. You'll just be living out of a suitcase. You don't, you don't want to be doing that. You know, get a, get a proper job. Um, and I suppose this is it, isn't it? With music, they always say, oh, well, you can do it as a hobby. You know, um, but you, I'm, I'm kind of super glad that, um, that I did. But I also wonder if I'd been born sort of 40 years, 40 years earlier, um, what I'd be doing because obviously none of this none of this existed really just as you say you know things have moved on even in the last 10 years for, for developer communities I mean we now have slack and um, different ways of networking that mean that we don't have to all sit in the same office and even the idea of agile where you all sit in a space the size of a bus is no longer strictly necessary um, but yeah I, I don't even, I don't imagine how we how we would have been you know, able to exist 40 uh, years earlier if we'd wanted to uh, have, a, have a meaningful career, but I'm sure we would have <laughs> maybe would have become musicians after all. There you go. So, um, when you, when you, um, you say you love your role, what is it that you particularly like about developer marketing and developer relations or building communities, I guess is probably a better way to put it. The, the biggest thing is I love working with developers because I, I am still one, right? They're, they're my tribe, right? Every single day I get to focus on technology that helps, you know, build relationships among these developers. And it's a really cool space with some amazing people. Um, you know, sometimes they say, you know, developers are, they're a little hard to understand, but if you grow up as one, you, you identify with them. That's how you identify. Um, and it was amazing. I was at uh, Developer Week, uh, New York, a couple of weeks ago, speaking to a room full of developers and then asked if they ever heard dev of DevRel professionals. It was neat to see their reaction when I told them that the previous week I was at this conference for developer relations in a room with hundreds of people focusing on making their lives easier and then more productive. Mm. It was fascinating to see how they reacted just as this, they understand this natural progression of trying to help them grow. Um, it's, it's just really fascinating and rewarding. And the same type of thing is starting to happen on the developer marketing side, right? Um, I love seeing how uh, developer relations is, you know, kind of maturing a little bit. And developer marketing, we're starting to stand up to marketing teams trying to get at the developer's information saying no, right? You don't, you don't get to just have that. We have to earn that right. We have to provide something useful to them and make sure that it's actionable and helps them out. 
right? Developer marketing to me should be uh, a natural progression on this capability curve for individuals who are going to be interacting with developers. So it starts with helping developers get what they need and then progressing on into developer marketing where we really focus on how to help them out. Yeah, I see. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. So when you talk about developers being your tribe and how you felt that you, know, you, you were one of them, do you think it's necessary to be a developer, to be effective? Or for people that are listening to this podcast that maybe are thinking of getting into the area but don't have the expertise, do you think there's still a place for people like that coming in? Absolutely. I think that I think it's a great thing. Um, I don't believe, to answer your question, I do not believe that you have to be or have to have been a developer in order to be successful. I think it helps, but what you really need to be successful in this area, developer relations, developer marketing, is to have a passion to help developers use the technology you're representing. It's really about helping them do better with your technology every single day. And you have to have that passion. If you don't, you're going to burn out because it takes a lot of activity. You have to, quote, be on for your developers. You have to be good at being authentic, right? Developers have uh, a, what I call the BS meter <laughs> that's constantly <laughs> on 11, right? So if you're not genuine in your desire to help them, they're going to pick up on that, right? But if you really do care about making developers successful, then I think you'll find a ton of success in this area. Yeah, I think that's a really great way of putting it that, you know, as long as you as long as you care about them being effective, then you can be effective as, as long as you know enough about, you know, what their problems are and what they're hitting and where you can unblock them and, and get them move forward. And that might be connecting them with people that can help or it might be finding the answer for yourself and relaying it. But it's it's all about um, building the sort of the relationship rather than having the knowledge at your fingertips, isn't it? Right. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting thing. So I, was, I just want to come back um, to something you said earlier about the developers um, having so much sort of, um, if you like, responsibility and, you know, they're, they're really, the role is coming of age. Um, because it occurs to me that, you know, in, in other professions, we have all these qualifications and you wouldn't expect somebody to just go out and build a bridge unless they've got a whole set of different letters after their name and a different um, compliance. And yet, when you come to software, we put people in charge of some really complex software projects, and there's an expectation that they'll deliver. And they can be quite young and quite inexperienced, but the whole thing is because it's broken up into so many people contributing to different parts of, of a piece of code, um, they're kind of just thrust into the into the limelight and have the responsibility on them do you think that being a developer is a you know is actually rather a, a difficult job these days and that perhaps we've kind of almost overinflated their um if not their importance but just their capacity for what they what they can deliver yeah i i believe that wholeheartedly you're striking on another passion of mine developer communities is one and one of the things that we do here at devada but internally with my own development teams, one of the reasons I got started on this is because I saw this need for growing developers. We have a real problem and you're, you're, you're kind of skirting around the edges and I'm going to go right to the heart of it. You mm -hmm. know, what we're expecting of certain developers is unreasonable and unfair mm -hmm. in, some, yeah. in some cases. And it's hard. I mean, if you look at statistics show that about 48% of current developers right now in market today globally have less than five years of experience. 
that scares me, Joe. And it does because you're right. We're putting a lot of responsibility on these developers and it's really hard for them to grasp some of the more complicated topics. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it, it was many times I've been up at night trying to figure out and debug a multi-threaded application, 15, 20 threads in a distributed environment across five different machines. And you can't do that with five years of experience. If you can, you're really lucky. And it has nothing to do with genius. It has nothing to do with how smart you are. It has everything to do with experience. Yes. And some of the things I tell my team is you can't, if I could give you 10 years of experience in five years, I would. But the funny thing about experience is it's time-based. So it actually takes 10 years to get 10 years worth of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and with today's crunch, they call it the crunch culture. And you see it um, at, I was at Game Developers Conference uh, earlier this year, and unions were actually speaking at these conferences, trying to get developers to unionize. But I don't think that's the answer. The real answer is focusing on growing developers, right? Putting them on paths, career development, giving them a way to learn in a structured way so that we can understand how to grow them so that they can support technology. I mean, sometimes I'm fearful of this time machine situation like from H.G. Wells where we end up in a future where some of the code that was written is so complicated that the current set of technical people can't manage it. And if we can't stop this idea of a crunch culture where a developer is dropped in and they're just expected to code monkey everything out and we don't focus on how we grow them, and by them I mean the entire developer tribe, I think that 10 years from now we're going to find ourselves in a really tough situation because a lot of this digital transformation, things haven't grown as fast as they should have because of this very problem. I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's a, it's a huge responsibility to place on people with, as you say, such um, small amounts of experience. The game developer um, industry is one of the worst, of course, with their, with their crunch time. But do you think the solution then, in terms of having them an established career path for developers, is some kind of certification or is it is it purely that um, you kind of have more of a an expectation that people with less experience should not have so much responsibility placed on them and that everybody is is given very distinct roles across the industry so that rather than some companies having juniors and seniors and others having principals and others not really differentiating and having a flat hierarchy um, every software engineer is going in at a certain level and has a <laughs> not certification, then at least um, their years of experience in particular areas is reflected by the job title. Yes, I, I believe that that's one of the ways you can do it. I mean, job titles are one thing. It really comes down to the skills matrix that is underneath all of that, that titling, right? Mm-hmm. And making sure that, one, we have to properly equip the leaders of these technical teams to make sure that we build in space so that they can grow and learn new things, right? And make it okay. And then we also have to focus on, and to me, certifications are just a standardization of some set of skills, right? Mm. So if we can establish some set of skills and make it so that these leaders, cause we have to grow the leaders as well. Oftentimes you get someone promoted into a leadership role uh, in a technical capacity that really should just be a really strong developer for their career, right? So making sure that we put the right leaders there that care about the team and focus on growing them in the right ways, I think that's the key to it all. 
And yeah, there's a there's things in market where well, uh, developer level seven at company X is equivalent to a developer level nine at company Y, and some sort of standardization would definitely help. Um, but it, it's it's really hard thing to do because developers control a lot of intellectual property, and coming up with ways to to standardize that, you know, some companies will like and some companies won't. But I think it's going to really benefit the tribe if we can figure out how to do it correctly. I think it may protect them. I mean, it's a bit late now, obviously, with so much code in the wild, but when you think about the amount of AI that's um, being released and, you know, the num number of um, opportunities there are later for, for laws to be put around that. So, you know, if we have driverless cars and the car crashes and kills somebody, you know, we don't, what we don't want is for a lawyer to turn around and say, well, the software engineer coded this algorithm and they did it wrong and the parameters were coded incorrectly and their comment says that it was a hack and so therefore they're liable and they need to pay a million bucks to the family or something. Yeah, that's scary. And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's becoming increasingly obvious that technology is everywhere, right? And mm -hmm. you have airplanes that have problems with their software and you have the self-driving cars and there is what I call in my last uh, speech at Developer Week, this responsibility and innovation that we have as we look at how we're gonna build the future. I mean, we have to be able to garner the appropriate um, emotional response to artificial intelligence, right? We have, we have made artificial intelligence this wonderful thing for us to contemplate through movies and shows and those types of things, mm -hmm. but, we really have to put some thought behind what are those things that we want that AI to do, right? Because the proper, the, the proper setup for an AI, once you get the, the neuro cycles and everything else working in the software, that AI could learn in one week what it would take humans 20,000 years to learn at the, the, the right calculation. And that means you would come up with something that's way smarter and way more powerful than any of us. And so we have to put thought behind that. And if we, don't, if we don't stop to consider how we're going to be growing one another to be able to make those responsible choices, to come together and understand the skill sets that we have to developers and grow leadership so that they can properly manage all of this, we, yeah, you're right. We're going to be in a mess in, in a couple of decades for sure. But it's a good, it's a good thing that we haven't, we haven't yet made some of those mistakes. So we do have some time. And by focusing on how we can change it today, I think that's going to be how we're going to be able to make sure that we have a safe and very productive and more comfortable future. Yeah, yeah, that, I think that is absolutely hit the nail on the head there. So we've been talking a lot about individual developers and responsibility and, and the collective to some extent. Let's come back to community because obviously um, your role and Devada and what I've I've spent my um, developer life um, doing is all about community, building community. Um, what role do you think community plays in developer marketing and developer relations? It's, it's a really great question. Um, it's interesting to think of what developer relations and developer marketing really is, right? And when I think about developers, developers really relate to one another and they identify as being a developer more than they identify with being with an individual company, which is super interesting to me. 
right? You have developers helping each other online and they don't care if the person that's trying to get past this coding challenge is working for a competitor or not. They're just helping each other out, which is why when I talk about community, I talk about a developer tribe. It's about those relationships. And so uh, I have this, this thing that I say at the end of my speeches, remember that we're all on the same team, just working for different companies, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it's, it's interesting to me to think through, you know, what developer marketing is, you know, helping out developers. We talked to that uh, a little bit. And me still being a teacher at heart, um, it turns out the most effective way to encourage these people is to make sure that they join these developer communities to feel that sense of connection, right? And then developer marketing, to me, still is about trying to figure out how to help those developers more and grow more. I mean, take dzone.com, for example, right? dzone.com was built by some developers for some developers. So it's at its heart, everything at dzone.com is free for any developer that wants to download it, right? We get experts in the field to come because developers trust other developers more than they trust anybody else. So we have this expert user-generated content constantly coming in, and those developers get all kinds of benefits, right? They get their name out there. They get to interact with other smart people. They get to solve really hard problems. And then you mentioned uh, the developer marketing book that you published. I have a really good friend of mine, uh, Matthew Pruitt, who wrote some pieces of that book. Oh, yes. Um, and uh, he works over at Unity. You know, and what <laughs> Unity is doing with their community is fantastic, right? Trying to solve coding problems um, and then trying to make sure that they figure out how to get those developers more of what they need through developer marketing. Um, and it's cool. My niece, Ashley, she is a Unity developer, right? She's learning. She's uh, 16 years old, learning how to code in Unity. And she sends me an email, Uncle Jesse, I need this help with this code. And for, I really wanted to help her, but I don't code in Unity. Uh, but I knew where to point her, right? I said, there's this really great team over at Unity. Go over there and ask your question in their community. She got her answer. And all of a sudden, Unity has this new uh, advocate for them. You know, they have a 16-year-old girl who's learning how to code for the first time, is getting help on their site, right? And so, you know, on the, develop, the developer marketing in me wants to say, figure out what she needs next. You know, what's her intent? We think about this intent-based marketing and the journey of the developer, right? I think we can do some really amazing things with growing these developers with, when trying to understand what they need next. Not mm -hmm. how to get them into my sales funnel, but what we need next. Your normal marketing metrics don't apply to a developer community. Bounce rates are not a bad thing. If a developer comes to your community, searches for a question, finds the answer and bolts and gets back to work, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. They've learned something. It was, it's a case deflection. These, these metrics we have to really rethink when we're in developer marketing because, again, I think it's all about finding out how to help the developer next. Yeah, I think that's a great way of, of um, describing it. Um, Matthew's chapter in the book was one of my favorites, actually, because um, he talked about um, some of the experiments they did and the things that went right and the things that went wrong um, in terms of trying to get different teams to write content and make videos, uh, make them small or make them less verbose. Um, and you know, having worked with people that um, create content, I know that sometimes it's very difficult to ask people to kill their darlings and, and cut out a lot of the uh, verbosity. But um, moving on from, um, from, from that to 
your 16-year-old niece joining a developer community. So something that I ask a number of people when they come on the podcast is about diversity. Um, and as a parent myself, I, I'm always you know, concerned about my son going online. So if your 16-year-old niece is, is on a developer community, how do you kind of, how do you feel about um, the, the tone of the community and its, its nature? How do, how do you make sure that a community um, is welcoming and kind and inclusive and that you feel happy with your, you know, your young relatives joining that and, and participating? Right. That's a great question. Um, and each developer community, in my opinion, has a culture, right? It, mm. it absolutely has a culture. And it's, it's really, to me, culture is nothing more than two things, our ceremonies and how we treat each other. And I believe that your family has a culture, your workplace has a culture. And each one of these online communities, if you look at them, they, they do have cultures. And you can go to some communities that are known for uh, a more hard culture. Think the back in the days, the, the phrase RTFM, right? Mm -hmm. So 15 years ago, some of these communities that started up really had this idea that if you posted a question, you know, you should have done, you know, nine and a half hours worth of homework before mm -hmm. you would post the question, right? It was more of an exclusive feel. It was, you know, why didn't you go look here? Why didn't you go look here? And it, it didn't, it wasn't welcoming at all. And then you have some cultures which are way more open and way more helpful. And there's a lot of things that you can do within the software to encourage that. And so some of the things that we do is make sure that we have, uh, for each of the communities that we help stand up, we make sure they have a code of conduct, right? That there are these expectations of behavior that it's easy for someone to report um, any type of um, derogatory comments. We make mm -hmm. sure that we have filters on those on those things so that if something shows up that is, you know, a word or a phrase that doesn't fit in with the culture, it gets flagged and someone has to look at it. And, you know, when I talk about diversity and inclusion and those types of things, it's it's a wide variety. I mean, you always have race, color, creed, religion, all of those things come into diversity. But so does background for us. Right. You mentioned earlier that developers come into the craft from a wide variety of backgrounds. And so they are coming in and have to learn enormous amounts of information in a short amount of time. Mostly because of the second topic we talked about, which was more about how uh, how developers are expected to do things without maybe having the right training and growth. Mm. And so I think that we have to provide ways um, in our community to be accepting of those diverse backgrounds and cultures and everything else. And that software gives us a really neat way to approach that. It, it kind of strips away some of the stuff that happens in person. And instead, what you find on online communities is those unconscious biases that we have, that we have to get in check. Half of those don't occur when you're on an online community. And the biggest that you have is an intellectual bias that I'm smarter than you or you didn't do your homework, right? Um, and so what we do is we build things into the software to make sure that people are encouraging and helpful and making sure that they come to the community and when they ask a question, it's okay, right? These, these communities, even back as far as Java Lobby, everything that we did was built on knowledge sharing, right? There's a, there's a really bad word 
that you could you could be called uh, if you were here to work at Devada, and that would be a knowledge hoarder, right? If you're not, we have our own instance of Answer Hub running here, and we're expected to be putting that knowledge out, right? We've in society we've got this idea that knowledge is power, and that mm-hmm. if I have the knowledge, I get the power, but that's at the root of a lot of this you know, diversity and inclusion stuff is that we have to understand that power, the real power is being the person that shares and helps somebody else. Not only is that great for them, but it's also great for you. And that's what's really going to help us strengthen the tribe. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the tribe, isn't it? So um, when it comes to the kind of um, encouragement and inclusivity that you you mentioned, um, we had um, somebody from Vanilla Forums on a while back um, we were talking very much about the same thing, which is that, you know, they can, um, by putting on their own forums, um, a company that's building up a community or a community that's building up a community um, can at least control to some extent the tone and they can, as you say, use all the tooling that, that you have um, to moderate and to, to investigate and to ban and, and to encourage people down the right paths of behaviour. Do you think that this is going to be something that's more and more prevalent? Because, I mean, the last 10 years, we saw a huge growth in um, Stack Overflow. It's 10 years old. I think it's coming up for 11 now. Um, but clearly, platforms like that and Reddit um, have a very distinct and quite snarky flavor. You've got to be a bit more robust to, to, you know, to go on there. Do you think perhaps their time is, is over and that we're now looking at a more... Um, custom solutions such as something that Devada offers or is there room for both? Um, there, you're always going to have to have both although I think that there's different flavors. Um, I think about uh, Jeff and uh, the founder of Stack Overflow and our co-founder Rick who knew each other um, oh back in the days when they first started um, along with the founders of Atlassian funny enough and um, you know Jeff w- really wanted to build a wiki. If you go to his blog you can read kind of what he wanted Stack Overflow to be, and it's not that yet, um, and doesn't know if it ever will be. Um, but it was really, um, it's really interesting to do a study. <clears throat> the Stack Overflow that we have today is very pu- is public facing. So if you have a general coding question, how to do this for loop, how to do this merge sort, you know, those types of things, that's what Stack Overflow is really good at. But, you know, GE and Pixar and some of these other companies really want to have that information you know in their own brand they want to own the data and they want to make sure that the people using their software get specific answers without having to be distracted by the general coding questions right so i think you'll start to see some of these online places uh, will still have general coding questions um, and then the more specialized questions based on different technology are going to be owned by those companies and those will be externally facing. And then I think there's a third one, which is internally facing communities. So we work with clients that have, you know, thousands of developers in their company. And they're trying to make sure that they build developer communities inside the company that have really good culture and using the software to do that. So I think there's layers to it. And I think that they're all still going to be around. But... Uh, I remember when the current CEO of Stack Overflow posted his resignation letter. Uh, It was interesting to me to read the very first comment. I don't know if it's still there, but it was one of the members of our global tribe who had been coding for 20 years. And he said, it's interesting to me, I don't ever come to Stack Overflow. 
when I started coding, I didn't have Google. Mm. Instead, I went to the documentation. Right. Mm. It's super interesting to think about that. You know, I'm teaching Seth, um, my son, uh, who's 16 year old, years old, how to code in Java. He's taken a Java class. And, you know, and he instinctively wants to go to Google because that's just it's ingrained in how he's been raised. Right. And so mm. instead for this coding stuff, I'm teaching him to go to the Java documentation on Oracle's website. Because I know there are teams of people that spend, around, spend a lot of time making sure that the documentation around this stuff is correct. So it's interesting to see how it shifted from, you know, 20 years ago where all we had was the documentation till today where developers' first instinct is to go to Google rather than going to the documentation from the source. Um, you know, I tend to encourage my teams instead of Googling something to try to research it first. This idea of, you know, not just, we call it development, software development. But 15 years ago, we called it R&D, research and development. There is a research aspect that I think that we have, oh, what's the word? I think we've kind of downplayed the need mm -hmm. for research and experimentation and learning in our development cycle. And I think that's come about by pressure on the business side where instead of having this growth mindset of, uh, making sure that we learn, we experiment, and then we do something that's really great, that we just plan and execute. And in the plan and execution phase, this idea of experimentation looks like a failure. And I think we have to reverse that if we're going to get back to the place where looking somewhere other than, you know, the documentation and playing around with something and coming up with a really good solution is okay, because that's what's going to help us learn and grow even more than just getting out there, getting the right answer and going back into code. Yeah, there's a kind of, um, there's, there's a disconnect, isn't there, between the two ways of working. There's, there's the one way, which is highly experimental, um, but then if experimentation is discouraged and you're just supposed to come up with a final product, you know, you, you, you do want to be using the documentation. As a tech writer, it's, it's something that I've wrestled with. Um, mm. And in fact, I wrote a, a blog post on DZone about this, this very thing, and it was prompted actually by, um, Joel um, from uh, Fork Creek, who um, we did an interview with him for the um, for the book, and he um, rather spectacularly, I thought, said, "You don't really need documentation. You need um, FAQs. So if you're setting up a new developer community, you need to think about what people are going to be asking about your software, and you write FAQs and you write code to support those." And you think of as many ways you can ask the same question and you think as many different ways to answer the same question and you write it and you write loads and loads and loads of them. Maybe you put them on Stack Overflow, maybe you put them on your own forum, but you don't need documentation. People will Google and then they'll find your question and they'll find the answer and then they'll move on. Um, and as a tech writer, I've become more and more um, engrossed with this idea of yeah, let's not write lots of API documentation. Let's just think about use cases and what people are trying to do. Because as a technical writer, that's what I'm always asking is, you know, what is the problem that people are trying to solve? What is the problem that I need to answer? And perhaps this is, this is one way to get around that. The new Google generation do just have questions. They don't want to read an entire volume about something. Perhaps we never did, but we never had the choice, did we? Um, no. Although I must say that um, when you were talking about um, sort of internal communities. When I joined Scion uh, back in 1997, we had Lotus Notes and we had a series of databases that we could ask questions. And it was, it was a small developer community. 
uh, but it was the snarkiest, most dangerous place to be if you were a beginner, especially if you were female and quite young and inexperienced. <laughs> um, yeah, and I really do not, in, I do not think back with fondness on that time at all. So, um, yeah, I think uh, the whole diversity and inclusivity at that point was um, somewhat lacking. Um, and companies themselves need to have quite a lot of, of um, thought about their um, identity just as much as an external developer community, don't they? Agreed. So I think we're coming to the um, the end of the of the pod now. Thank you so much for talking to us. I feel like I should ask you a question about the overlap with, with developer community and Star Trek. And I've been sitting here thinking about the Borg and you know the collective mind, the hive mind, and how that how how we connect the Borg and the developer community. I'm just wondering if there's a good parallel that you can draw between the two, or whether really the Borg should not be in any way encouraged um, to to set up a developer community. No, I think it's it's a great question. Um, I actually think that's a really good analogy. To me. It really starts, all this, all, all these things that we've been talking about, to me, really starts with empathy for the developer and focusing on that's who we really want to help. And whenever, we, whenever I think about the Borg, right, sometimes we think about the Borg in a negative context. But to the Borg, they were trying to do something that was just very natural, right? Mm -hmm. Grow, expand, and make each individual be the best individual it could be. Right now, it was very unnatural how they did that <laughs> with technology. <Yes. laughs> um, but there's no doubt that everyone that they created was somewhat unique, contributed to the whole in a meaningful way, and was way more powerful than what they were and skilled than what they were before. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that for developer marketing, as we get into this space of figuring out how to do communities right and, and starting with empathy for a developer, we have to think about not just the demographics of the tribe, but also their psychographics, right? What makes them tick, what they think, what they need next. And then the firmographics, you know, what are the specific things they need for the place where they are, the company where they are. And if we can take away um, all of the other noise and put together a, an accurate picture of the need and intent for developers, then we can build some really neat underlying systems that can capture and process this data so that we can really help developers succeed. You know, there's a lot of buzz about artificial intelligence and most of the stuff that we're building today is actually machine learning um, mm -hmm. rather than AI. But mm -hmm. the more we can use this machine learning to be able to process and find repeatable patterns of success, I think we can actually start to accelerate that thing that we talked about in the beginning, we're getting more experience in shorter time, right? I think we can, we can start to process that and then we'll be a lot better. And those to me are the keys to making developer marketing right. So we can take a picture, you know, take a, a page out of the Borg's playbook and focus on making each individual developer the best they can be for the place where they are. That's fantastic. Resistance is futile. Thank you very much, Jesse. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it was great, Tom. Thanks for having me.